Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely for Lynn and I to be here uh, with you this morning. Um, Before we uh, look at the passage that uh, Mark has read, just one or two little comments. I want to say uh, thank you. Uh, Some of you know, some of you might not know, but uh, you as a church support us in the work that we do with WEC and have done for many years, and we value that, and we value particularly your prayers, uh, prayers over the years, and uh, prayers for what is about to to take place as well. Um, Yes, it's true, Uh, Mark and I do go back uh, a long way. Uh, He mentioned these camps, Um, he mentioned, he held up this and mentioned the camps, and uh, yeah, Mark and I went on these camps when we were, um, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, teenage years, uh, so that goes back. I grew up in this church, Mark grew up uh, in this church in Sunday school uh, and that, and uh, we've been different ways since then, but it's really good to be back together. So we want to say thank you um, so much. It's good to see people we've known for a long time and to see some new faces as well. So I'm actually not going to take a lot of time to talk about WEC. WEC is an international mission organisation, but you can chat to us afterwards, find out about us uh, we can find out about you too, but I will just um, whoops, sorry, Mark. Uh, I will just highlight this. Uh, oh, okay, that's right. That's about Toby Carvery. It's not the next stuff of hymns. It's a note to me where to be. One o'clock. Oh no, sorry. It says Wednesday. God, I thought I was in luck for a minute. Uh, no, this uh, this leaflet here. Um, yeah, I just mentioned that because during the virus, time of the virus, we've had to go online. And so we've run two camps on uh, online virtually, but we do. We normally run in a, in a farmer's field. Uh, and this year we are back in a farmer's field in, in Cromer. And uh, that's the leaflet. But I just want to show you, I'd encourage you to take one of these so that you can pray. It reminds you to pray for the camp. But if you take this leaflet, our designer, who's one of the team, is a good guy. You can just fold back your, your top two corners like that. You just take the back section, just there, just pull that back, maybe just put a little nick in it. And uh, I'm not going to actually put it on the communion table, but if I just hold it, hold it there, you can see it stands up like a bell tent. So if you want to pray for us, you want to pray for the camps, um, yeah, we can have uh, 80 youngsters or so on, on two sites, 9 to 13, 13 to 17. I'm usually with the teenagers. Uh, Lynn and I have, have been with the teenagers. Um, you want to pray for us, remind you to pray. You could just sort of stick this somewhere just on the mantel shelf at the side and you just keep noticing it and uh, you can pray for it. And um, yeah, I brought about 20 brochures down, but there's we've got plenty in the office. We, we, we'll send more down if... Um, Sorry, I'm making a noise here. Yeah, we'll, uh, we can send more down if, if you need. Let's pray and then let's look into God's word together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege of having uh, an open Bible this morning. Father, we thank you that you want to speak to us as individuals and collectively too. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to listen, understand what you're saying to us. Uh, Lord, take my words and use them. Uh, but Lord, what's not of you? you? That can just be left. But Lord, what is of you that's looked, that we look at this morning? Write it on our hearts that we might be closer followers of you. We pray and ask in your name. 
Amen. Amen. Okay. Psalm 46 is very well known and it begins like this. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3 in just a moment. So if you have that, if you have your Bibles, that would be uh, really good to follow there. But I'm just going to read these couple of verses first. Psalm 46 says this, it says, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. At the end of that psalm, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The message of that psalm, those verses that I've read in a nutshell, is in a sense a nutshell of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Whatever the state of our world, we are to be still. We are to know that God is the one who is going to be exalted and that he is with us. Now, I don't know how many preachers... I could go and sit down now, couldn't I, actually? But maybe we will look at one or two little bits more. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how many preachers actually give the whole picture in one go, but I wasn't intending to do that. But there we are. There are times in our lives and there are times in our world when it feels like everything is collapsing and crumbling, doesn't it? Sometimes it's global. We have had a pandemic. We've had this virus that's blitzed the world. We have this war in Ukraine and other wars that have just filled the news and the newspapers page after page. On the internet, you go and you look on your tablet or your laptop and you're looking for stuff and this is all about what's going on in our world. There's a cost of living crisis. So we believe. There are things in our world, be it international or national, and maybe in our own lives, where we think to ourselves, what is the world coming to? When will it end? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? And there are many people in our world at this point in time who have hearts that fear. Now, I'm not going to trivialise any of that this morning, any of that. But we're going to look into that sort of situation just now. At the beginning of Exodus, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were having a bad time. And it was a really bad time. They were in a bad situation. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were being beaten. It was forced labour. The Egyptians were ruthless in the way they treated these Hebrew people. It was a miserable, desperate situation. God seemed far away. Life was hard and they didn't know when it was going to end. As they looked back, they remembered that God had promised to their their ancestor, their forefather Abraham, 
and then again to Isaac, and then again to Jacob, that he, God, was going to take them and put them in a land of plenty, a land of peace, a land where his kingdom was going to reign. But right at that moment in time, at the beginning, as we come to this chapter 3 here, the people of Israel must have thought God seemed far away. (coughs) Promises were unfulfilled. Dreams were dashed. And as the people of God, you know and I know that we're not immune from trials. We're not immune from stress. We're not immune from bad situations in our lives and in the lives of our churches There are times when God seems to be silent. Lynn and I have prayed for certain things for a long time. And we don't know. Why hasn't God answered? Where is God in this situation? There are times when God might seem to be silent. But here in chapter 3 of Exodus, we find that into this situation, God speaks. Moses, who'd grown up in Pharaoh's court, he'd been there in Egypt, he'd grown up in Pharaoh's palace, he was in the Midian desert. We won't go into all the reasons why he was there, but he'd had to get out of Egypt quick, and he was looking after the sheep of his father-in-law. And he'd gone over, while he was looking after these sheep, he'd gone over to look at a bush, a bush which was burning, it was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. Now, apparently, bushes do catch fire in the desert. It's just the way things happen, but it usually burns up. But this bush wasn't burning up, so Moses was a bit curious, and he went across to have a look. And as he went to the bush, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the fire, and then God spoke to him. God spoke to him directly. First of all, God said, and you can follow this and look at it in the the passage. First of all, God said to him, Take off, it's verse 5, take off your sandals. Show reverence because you're in my presence. Moses was in the presence of, of God. Moses was in God's presence. He was in the place where God could speak to him and he would hear. Then immediately he says to Moses... I am the God. He tells him who he is. I am the God of your father, of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses realized it dawned on him who was speaking to him. And he hid his face. God had come with authority. God was declaring himself who he was. And Moses was afraid. Then comes these lovely words. And I want you to really let this sink in. In verse 7. In verse 7, the Lord God Almighty said to Moses, Moses, with all the background that I've just described, all the situation, having had to flee from Egypt, but the the state his people were in, God spoke. And in verse 7, God says, I have seen. I have seen. It might seem like I'm far away, but I've been watching. I've been watching. I know what the Egyptians have been doing. I have seen. He begins to speak into the situation. I have heard. I haven't been deaf. I haven't ignored the cries of my people. I have heard. 
And it's not that I'm indifferent to what's going on. It's not that I've heard, but so what? I am concerned. I have seen. I have heard. I am concerned. I'm taking on board the situation that I see and understand. And then he says, I've come to act. I have come to act. I have come to rescue. I have come to rescue. I've come to act. And then if you just slide down to verse 10, he says, and I'm sending you, Moses. I'm sending you to get involved in that. We'll come back to some of this in a minute. Our God is not a distant God. Our God is not a God whom we have to please but have no relationship with. No, our God wants to interact with his people. For us as Christians, we have God's spirit living in us. And yes, there are times when God might seem silent and we wonder if our prayers are heard. We wonder if God understands what is going on and what we're going through. And why doesn't he do something? Take courage and take heart from these verses. God does hear. He does understand. He is doing something. Sometimes it's just not what we think he should be doing. So whether it's our own circumstances, whether it's global, a global crisis, we're called on God. We are called on to trust God for who he is and his relationship with us. Who is this God who speaks? Who is this God who speaks? Verse 13 and 15 give us an answer there. Moses asks, who shall I say has sent me? Who shall I say? Who is it? Who is this God? And God replies with these famous words. I'm sure you've heard these before. I am who I am or I will be what I will be. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. Jehovah, whether you're talking Hebrew or, 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 or Greek, he, God, he, uh, he is the God above all gods. He is the creator, the one who holds the earth and the universe in place. The God of the past, the God of the present, the God of the future is the God of Moses and is our God this morning. Did you notice... I'm just going to... Thank you, sorry. Um, did you notice that God didn't shout at Moses from the heavens while he was out there with the sheep? He didn't bellow in a big loud voice, but he drew Moses to a place where they were close together, where he, the Lord of heaven, and Moses, the shepherd, were close together. Did you notice he drew them to a place where God could speak to Moses and Moses would hear? Sorry. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Didn't want to just waste all the stuff. Just put that there. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, he didn't shout. He drew Moses into that place where they could have a conversation. A place where 
Moses would hear. And if we want to hear God, if we want to be close to God, then we need to come into his presence. That's good. I don't mean that you have to be in church. I don't mean you have to be in a meeting. Rather, it's that place where we can focus on God. It can be anywhere physically, but it's where we're open to his voice. Learn to recognise the voice of God. In amongst all the voices that come through your ears or through your eyes or through your mind, learn to recognise the voice of God. Take time in the busyness of life to be in that quiet place. That place where we can focus on him and he can speak to us. It's so important. God might speak through scripture. He might speak through the verse of a hymn or a song. uh, Something that is said. We just have that witness of the Holy Spirit that this is of God. There's numerous examples in the scriptures and I won't go into all of those but some of you might remember Isaiah there in the presence of the Lord he overheard this conversation I need someone to go and do something to go and talk to these people and Isaiah puts up his hand and he says Lord you can send me here am I send me so that moves on to uh, us if uh, the first point was the God who speaks this is the God who acts God again reminds Moses verse 8 he reminds Moses uh, he tells him again that he is taking, he, God, is taking his people into this good and spacious land. A land that is flowing with milk and honey. The word used means it's oozing. It's just oozing goodness. It's overflowing. This is some great place. But of course, the Israelite people, they weren't going to just arrive in this place, in the promised land, uh, and it was all going to be great and wonderful, and they were just going to chill out and feel, whoa, isn't it good to be here, like, like you're on holiday or something. No, no. All these tribes are listed. The Ammonites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. These weren't nice guys, all of them. I'm sure there were one or two nice guys among them, but they were, these were, were people they had to do battle with. But it was a place. It was a place of blessing and plenty. It was a place where they were going to be witnesses to the Lord, the God of heaven, both to the people in that nation, in those nations as they went into the land and also to the people around them as well. It was a place where God was going to establish his kingdom, his authority, uh, and they were going to make that their home. Throughout the scriptures, we find there is a pattern where God repeats his promises. He repeats his promises and states his purpose. And here God has done that again. He said it to Abraham, he said it to Isaac, he said it to Jacob, and now he says it to Moses. At this crucial point in Israelite history, he says, I'm going to take these people into this land and this is how it's going to be. And they're going to be my people and they're going to live for me and bring glory to me in that place. God will take them there. But first, Moses has to go to Pharaoh. Yeah, Moses, he's got to go to Pharaoh. And in verse 11 and 12, we have Moses expressing his feelings of inadequacy. Who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Moses has realised, it's dawned on him, that God is including him. 
in this purpose, in this journey, in this way forward for God's people, all of a sudden Moses is twigged. God's got something for me to do here. And what does God say to him? In verse 11 and 12, in verse 12, I will be with you. And he gives them the sign that later on, when they've come out of Egypt, they will worship God in this mountain. Just think, I don't know how well you know your Bibles. I know there are people here who probably know their Bibles better than me. But how often, I'm not, this isn't a question, I'm not looking for a number. Just think in your head. How often do we read in the scriptures where God says to his people, I will be with you. God even says, if we read some of the New Testament, it's looking ahead. I will be with my people until I come again. The promise of God. One of the, there are a number of fundamental promises. I haven't got time to go there this morning. But one of the <coughs> fundamental promises of God is that he will be with his people. He will be with his people. I will be with you. It's there in the Psalms time and time again. It's there in the prophets. It's there in the New Testament. And uh, we'll refer to that as well in a few minutes. But let's move and look at the God who enables us to act. Because this Moses here saying, I'm, I'm inadequate, and God saying, I'm, I, I will be with you, leads us into thinking about the God who enables us to act. You see, as I've just said, there was a part for Moses to play as God took his people into the promised land. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing that when we think that God can do all this on his own, actually, he doesn't need us at all, but he chooses to involve us. He chooses to include us in what he is doing. The task ahead for Moses and the children of Israel was daunting. But God shows him in verse 19 and 20 that he, God, is all-powerful. That he's a sovereign God. That he will deal with the Egyptians. This strong and powerful nation is weak compared to Almighty God. It says, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go. This is verse 19. Unless a mighty hand compels him. Moses probably thought, Mighty hand? Well, I haven't got much of a mighty hand, have I? But God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, it's a statement, isn't it? He might, it's not he might let you go. It's he will let you go. When I've acted, says God, he will let you go. Many Christians take the image of leaving Egypt as uh, and crossing the Red Sea as uh, when we become Christians, leaving the ways of the world behind. Then as God's people crossing over the Jordan into the promised land and we enter heaven where God's absolute authority is seen and his kingdom is finally uh, established in all its fullness and we live with him forever. Now that's a good picture. That is a good picture because it describes the ultimate purpose of God through Jesus. The ultimate purpose of God being that through Jesus, who came as a baby and then went to the cross and died and then uh, was raised from the dead. The price of sin being paid. 
God was bringing people back to him. Bringing people back to him. Victory over sin and death for Jesus meant that we could then have our sins forgiven and would be able to live with him forever. That's a great picture and it's, it's a great image. But I think as well as this big picture, there are principles that for everyday life for us here too, looking at that pattern uh, of what is happening to the, to the children of Israel at this time. And actually, just a little aside, but I think it's exciting. The Bible, the one thing about the Bible, which I think is so exciting and uh, is so amazing, is that the Bible has something for every generation, right from the time it's written, right till today. It has something for every age group, from the two uh, little girls who are down here at the front to the oldest person, and we're not going to guess who is the oldest person this morning, but from them right through to whoever is the oldest person in this building this morning and, and in the world. And not just here. It's not just Britain who's got the thumbs up from God. No, it's, the, it's, it's God's people uh, around the world. And it's people who are searching for God and seeking for God. You don't actually have to be a Christian. You read the Bible. Many people these days are turning to the Bible and reading and God is speaking. Why? Because the Bible, it's like layers. You peel one one layer and there's something for somebody else. And you peel another layer and there's something for somebody else. It was relevant through history. We can read these stories and learn from them. They were written down. They were told orally. The people who heard them, the people who read them, they learned a lot of things. And through church history, people have learned and understand. And then we come to, we come to today, 2022. And we think, my goodness me, how different is the world? Moses did not have the internet. Moses did not have a smartphone. God did not speak to him through some satellite. But actually, the Bible is still relevant for you and me today. And it doesn't matter, actually, whether you've got a book that's like this. It's falling apart a little bit. But whether you've got a Bible like that, because I'm a bit old-fashioned, or whether, I won't pick that up, uh, if you've got something with your, your Bible on a, on, a, on a smartphone or on a tablet, or whatever, it doesn't matter. It is the Word of God. And it is relevant. And that is the exciting thing about the Bible. I better go on because I'm starting to digress and that's not a good sign. When we live here on earth, God leads his people to those places and those people where his kingdom is to be established, where the people will turn to him and his church grows. Maybe you think of missionaries, but it's true for all of us. Now in this chapter, this chapter 3, uh, Mark read uh, the bulk of that, and then into chapter 4, which we didn't read, but I am going to just uh, link into uh, now, uh, just, just for a few minutes. Uh, Moses asks lots of questions. He, he's got lots of questions in this conversation with God. And in chapter 4, verse 1, you can just look at it if you have your Bibles, Moses asks, what happens if the people don't believe me? What do I do if they don't believe me? If they don't take on board what I say? Now, God's reply is very interesting. You know, you think the Lord, the God of heaven, would say, well, I will make them understand. Well, I will show them. I will tell them. But he doesn't say anything like that. 
Well, not straight away anyway. He says, what have you got in your hand? What is that in your hand? Now, Moses had his staff, his shepherd's crook in his hand. Right, this is the crook, this is the piece of wood that Moses had used probably hundreds of times to nudge a sheep in the right direction. It's the crook that he's probably, when a sheep got stuck in a bush or something, he sort of got it and been able to help the sheep out. He's helped him through a bit of a rough place, a bit rocky. He's used it as a, as a support, maybe. It's an ordinary, everyday object, very familiar. Very familiar thing to Moses. And God says, what have you got in your hand? I've got this shepherd's crook. Well, some of you who know the story know what happens. God says, throw it down on the ground and it becomes a snake. Then God tells him to take it up again. Interesting, God did specify, pick it up by the tail. Don't try and pick it up by his head, Moses. Pick it up by the tail. And when he did, it became uh, his staff again. When you or I wonder how God could possibly use us. I don't think that of anybody when I'm looking around the congregation. But you might look at me and think, goodness me, what's this guy on about this morning? When we, in those moments, when God is speaking to us, and we think, how on earth can God use us? How can he use me? Is, it, is he really saying he wants me to be involved in this? Does he want me to come down on a Thursday morning and have a cup of coffee? But instead of chatting to some of the folk who've gathered in this church, he wants me to go outside and chat to the couple of guys who are grabbing a quick 10 minute break by the metal container out there on the car park. You think, when we wonder those things, how can we have impact for the kingdom of God? God says to us, what have you got in your hand? What is there? Because you see, the thing is, God takes what we have and he uses it to enable us to serve him. It might be our skills. It might be our gifts. It might be the things that come naturally to us, like talking. And I know some people can talk a lot more than others. But he uses these things. And he takes, and this is the key, he makes them supernaturally effective for him. He takes the things which we might consider ordinary and he makes them supernaturally effective for him. See, too often we look at ourselves and we see what we haven't got. Like Moses, I can't do this, I haven't got that, whatever. Now, now that's not a bad thing in itself because actually it keeps us humble, doesn't it? You know, if we think I can do this, then that's perhaps not the right attitude. But if we're just only looking at what we haven't got, then we don't get anywhere. 
So it's good that we think what we haven't got keeps us humble. But God says, look at what you have got. And the thing is, the scripture is full of examples of where the inadequate thing has, or inadequate resources uh, from different people is taken and used by God in a miraculous way. What? To achieve his goal. So God has taken insignificant, uh, inadequate things, resources perhaps, they're taken and used by him in amazing ways. We haven't got time to go through all the stories. I'm going to list them. 5,000 people were fed by a little lad who had five loaves and two fish. Gideon's army was pruned down to about 300 and God, won, uh, God brought amazing victory. David went out against Goliath and the Philistines. What did he have? A stone and a sling. I heard somebody say it. Somebody was very quick there. Excellent. Yes, of course. Naaman, he had a little maid. A little maid from, from, from the Hebrew countries. A slave girl, really. But she told him where to go. and To go to the place where God would heal him. Amazing. What about Jesus? We, yes, we've got to come into the New Testament. I don't know. This is, uh, this is water out of that bottle you heard me hold, hold up before. It's still water. <laughs> but you know what Jesus did with a whole thing of water. He turned it into wine. Of course, Jesus took 12 simple fishermen. And some of them were quite rough and uncouth types of character. But he made them into his disciples who were effective, who were the key, the hub of a new church which spread throughout the known world. And ultimately, ultimately, a few months ago, we celebrated the birth of a baby. Just a little tiny baby in a manger in Bethlehem. But that little insignificant, weak looking baby was Jesus, the Son of God. God takes the things which look so inadequate and he uses them for his glory and his purpose. In all this, God, in, read if you want to afterwards, because I'm not going to go there now. Uh, there are other examples of what God tells Moses he can do. But in all of this, remember that God has said, I will be with you. God is there through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through John's Gospel. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and then the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will come and be with his disciples. We know that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Uh, he comes and lives in us when we become Christians, when we become followers of, followers of Jesus. And not only that, God puts us in churches, groups of people, groups of fellow Christians, who can support each other, can pray for each other and encourage each other in the task that God has, has given us. But remember, in all of this, God has said, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's God. It's the upward look to him and it's the outward look to our brothers and sisters for whatever task, if it's something individual or something corporate in a church. So let's just draw these thoughts to, a, to an end. While we live in a world which is in a mess, and I think the world's probably going to still be in a mess for a long time, even if some of the current messes uh, do reach some conclusion. But where there is much to discourage, to bring us down perhaps, let us draw near to God. Let's be in that place where we can hear him speak, where we can focus on him and we listen 
to his voice. Let us look what God has put in our hands. I love the fact that people go to this camp, they turn up a week before the event and they get a mallet in their hand and a tent peg and they put up loads of tents. It's a lot of hard work, it's just bash, 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 but it's putting up tents, it's putting up marquees, but it's a place where God meets with young people and challenges them and blesses them and it's humbling to be part of it. But yes, let's look at what God puts in our hands individually but collectively too I challenge you to do this as a church and then expect God miraculously to use these things in his service now just in case anyone's got a walking stick here I don't think if you sort of threw it on the floor in the porch afterwards it would become a snake right just just clear that one up But God can do amazingly more than we ask or think. I think it would be a bit of a shock to us if that happened. But God is the God of miracles, as we've been reading. God's promise is to be with his people, and that's for us as well. We can't do anything meaningful in our own strength, but we can do all things through Christ. So let's trust and believe. And there is a verse which uh, has been quite special to Lynn uh, and myself over uh, many years, but particularly... At this time, as we're sort of facing probably changes uh, in our future too. I'm not going to ask Lynn to stand up and recite it. Uh, She might be thankful about that, but she can probably guess where I'm going. She's nodded. That's okay. I've got the nod from the wife. It's in Ephesians. It's chapter 3, and it's verse 20. And And Paul tells the Ephesians that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power, That is at work within us and he will have the glory. Let's look up. Let's live for him. Let's be expectant and let's rejoice as we see what God does in us and through us and through his church as well. May the Lord bless each one of you. May he bless us all as we seek to. Uh, continue to see his kingdom grow and his church be blessed. Amen. Amen. Amen.